Hello and welcome back to What Do You Know For Sure podcast with me, Anne Hughes. This week's episode has sort of a humbled, blown me away, shown me a level of compassion that I probably have never witnessed before. I'm speaking with Natalie Logan of Cisco and she's talking about trauma in childhood and about the effects that has on us as we grow up, as individuals, on the men in our society in particular but the wider ramification of that and the responsibility, the call to action to us all to do something to make society better for us all. This is a beautiful interview. It's one of my favourite conversations that I've had doing this and a really important one. So I hope that you do listen to it. Please share it. Please make sure more people hear it because this is just perfect this interview. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Anne. Uh-huh. Now, I heard you speak back in June in Glasgow at the Compassionate Prisons Project and I asked you then, but I know you were very, very busy, so it's lovely to see you here today. So tell us a wee bit about you. A wee bit about me, so... Who's Natalie? Natalie's a mum, a CEO of Cisco, which is a charity I developed basically in honour of my father. My father's name was Cisco and he, he hung himself in prison in 1986, basically because he was a drug addict. That That's the, the long and short of the story, but I wanted to create a charity in honour of him so that we girls like Natalie did get their father back from prison and the end result ultimately wasn't ending their life and that you know we can restore faith in humanity by really allowing people to leave prison again as whole people and restoring them as opposed to just taking away their liberty Mm -hmm. so in short Natalie's a mum of two boys and she's somebody that really believes in a better restorative justice approach Great. And I was so moved by everything that that whole day and listening to you speak that day and just even reading on the website this morning about Cisco and the fact that it's called after your dad, but it also means something else too, is just is just beautiful. So I'm excited to know, Natalie. What do you know for sure? What I know for sure is that my life was basically passed out and my decisions were all due to the trauma that I had endured as a child. That's what I know for sure. Mm-hmm. I also know for sure that every decision I made was an absolute trauma response mm-hmm. and that I was consistently running away from myself throughout my whole entire life. That's what I absolutely know for sure. Mm-hmm. I know for sure that there was service engagement in my life throughout my childhood. And I know for sure that they missed out on massive, massive flags that would highlight to anyone that there was something going on within my family home where I needed help. I know that for sure. Mm. I also know for sure that, or I believe for sure, should I say that I have a fantastic higher power that put me on this journey so that I can do the job that I do today because I have a professional understanding and I have lived experience which you can't buy or read so that's what I know for sure yeah and it's it's such a big one isn't it 
to to know for sure. You know that talk about trauma responses and because I've done a couple of interviews with some of your colleagues that are very closely associated with Cisco for Sunny Govan for my radio show, I know that not everybody gets trauma, not everybody understands about those adverse childhood traumas that people have in their lives. When did you start to realise that your life had been so blighted by trauma? Because you wouldn't have known that as a child, would you have? I didn't even know as an adult, to be mm. honest with you. I just didn't think that I was normal. I, I just thought that I was a, abnormal. I, you know, I just didn't really ever feel like I fitted in and tried my hardest to. But, you know, it wasn't until probably the age of 30 when I was diagnosed with PTSD that I really started to recognise yeah. that, wait a minute, hold on. These things that happened to me were no they weren't normal and they weren't my fault and I shouldn't have took responsibility for other people's actions and I now get the opportunity to decide whether it holds power over me for the rest of my life or whether do I get to recreate a better version of myself for the benefit of my kids. Yeah. Because when you're growing up, you know, me and my siblings would say when we were growing up everybody was poor, right? So we didn't have so much trauma in in the household other than poverty. So when you're growing, you only know the world for your own experience, don't you? That goes for children especially, but it goes for a lot of adults as well. You only know what the world is like for you, what life is like for you. So you maybe don't have the awareness that it's different for other people, don't you know? No, and everything that we saw around about us within our circle was normalised. It's just that... When you grow up in the environment we did, it's whatever happens within within the house doesn't get spoke about outside it. You know, you don't speak to social workers, you don't speak to coppers, you don't speak to NDF authority. They're bad people, we're the good people. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get programmed to be a certain type of individual and your moral compass is just totally off a sink, totally out of sync. Uh-huh. So you said when you were 30, you sort of had that realisation that you had PTSD, which was a shame, but you were getting that treated. Then what did life start to look like? As you come through that recovery, what does life start to look like when you realise, God, that that was that wasn't what everybody experienced. I can maybe heal from this. I can make this different. What did that actually feel like? There's something quite cathartic in knowing that you can take control back of your life again. And that probably sounded quite simple. And the last thing it was was simple to do that. And I still, in any given day, can find it incredibly hard just to get up out of bed because mm. I have a head that tells me that I am useless and I'm worthless and I'm not good enough to be a CEO and who do I think I am and I'm a shit mum. But, you know, taking control back of your life is huge, especially when you score 10 on an ACES questionnaire, like to, to go through all that, but also know that there's a repair process and like your James Doherty's and individuals like that, they are the lived experience examples for me. So to know that they have found solutions and methods that heal them and and make them better people, then that's the kind of people I want to be following. Like I want to be following the examples that are actually getting well, getting better, being good parents, being brilliant, productive members of society, and also making an amendment back to society, like giving parents back their sons and daughters, being part of that recovery healing process within yeah. the community. Yeah. And so obviously you did something huge, which was set up Cisco, become a CEO. 
Um, I'm wondering, did it feel so huge when you done it? Did it feel like you were climbing a mountain to do it? You know, what was that process like deciding, I'm going to set up something that changes things, that changes the future for other people? Where did that sort of uh, come from within you? You see, I could make a difference. I think I've always kind of had it. I've always, mm. you know, although I was manic and chaotic, like my pals always called me Mother Teresa because I always wanted to help yeah. people and I was always dead. I always had a dead, dead, beautiful and kind heart. I mean, my work experience at school was at Woodley, the, the mental health hospital at Woodley, you know, so I always had something like really authentic and I'm a real empath at heart and I always have been like, mm-hmm. you know, connecting with the needy and the poor and the, mm-hmm. there's always something about So I've always deep down known, but it was that actually when the, the Scottish Prison Service came to me and asked me to go in and create something because I had created environments within Eastern Bartonshire and they really liked the model. So mm-hmm. they asked me to go in. So it's almost as if the universe aligned the stars for me to go in and do that. You know, it's, I didn't ever endeavour that I was going to go in there and do that. I was working in the addiction field when the SPS came to speak to me. So, you know, it's something that the stars aligned it for me. I didn't to chat that down that opportunity. But when it came and and I was given that opportunity, I thought I need to speak to the people behind these walls and find out, like, what is it that's not happening inside this prison? What are we getting so wrong? Yeah. And from from their voices, I created the Cisco model. So basically, it was a model created for prisoners by prisoners. Mm-hmm. And so Cisco, you called it Cisco, which I've read on your website and you've mentioned now is after your dad because that's what he was known as. But also as sustainable interventions supporting change outside. So is that about making this change that you're trying to support outside the prison? Is that basically what that saying to us there for? Was that the mission? Was that what you were trying to do? Our mission is not to abandon these guys mm. or reject them or leave them on their own or isolated. And, you know, a, a lot of people will either support these men in prison or they'll support them when they leave. But there's no the joined up bit in the middle. And uh-huh. for us, that's, the, that's mm-hmm. the really, really important bit because most of the men... I'm not saying there's not bad guys in prison. There's absolutely bad men in prison that should be there, you know. But the men that we work with have made bad choices and bad decisions. It doesn't make make them bad guys. And when you, you look at it, they've been abandoned and rejected, just as I was as a child, by every primary caregiver that should have been there for them, whether that be parents, yeah. grandparents, school, care homes, YOs, you know, they've, they've always been abandoned and rejected. So we start the journey in prison. We work with them throughout their journey. And then we are there for them. If when they're being liberated, we will meet them at the gate. We'll take them to their accommodation. And then they'll get a mentor in the community. So we don't, and we tell them, if you relapse 10 times, we'll still bring you back on the 11th. If you want to come into your building and shout and ball and have a breakdown, you come in and do that. You won't get barred for doing that. Like, we get it we get trauma responses. Wow, and it's so powerful, isn't it? And I think for us all as a society, do you know, I found this fascinating during the pandemic, (laughs) that people who were vaccine hesitant, they did a study in Wales, 70% or something of the people who were vaccine hesitant also had ACs, had at least one, at least two, at least three, it got higher with each one. And I thought this is the like society coming back round and kicking us in the ass, I think. Basically, if we don't look after our children, that affects us all, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Because then if, if lots of people didn't get vaccinated, maybe we would never, I don't think we are rid of it yet, but you know what I mean, we would never go over that hump. But it was actually our fault that they weren't getting vaccinated because they had been conditioned not to trust society, not to trust yeah. the powers that be. And so there's that reminder, I think, for all of us, isn't there, that we have to cherish our children and when we notice something is going on with a child or a family, we need to do something. Don't we? Absolutely. We all have a moral responsibility. Like, if we want Scotland to be good and safe and pure, mm-hmm. then we all have a responsibility. Looking down on someone's not going to make a situation better. You know, creating stigma is not going to make things better. Political finger pointing and organisational blame doesn't make things better. The only thing that makes things better is really touching people's hearts and minds. And that's what, that's what breaks the bullshit. Like, we're... I don't do this job because I want somebody to rub my ego or tell me, oh, you're brilliant, Natalie, and well done. Like, I genuinely don't. I do this job because I genuinely want wee girls and wee boys to get their mum and dad back. Not only get them back, but they're leaving prison and they're not using illicit drugs. They're not on prescribed medication. They've completed some education while they've been in there. You know, they want to come out and be... Good dads, and that was the real, that was the importance of the work that we done with Fritzy because that for me, which we're going to get evaluated because we're doing the aftercare program. But when you're speaking to men about the impact of adverse childhood experiences and trauma, and they start, you start to go through the ten questions with them. It starts to resonate with them if they're scoring five and six and seven in an ACES questionnaire. Well, wait a minute. I'm not there for my kid. I've abandoned my kid. I've been arguing with my partner in front of my kid, my kids. So they're starting to recognise, wait a minute, there's my kid got four and five aces as well. And that's when they start to think, I don't want my child to make the same decisions that I did. And we can start to reinstall, because all behaviours can be unlearned. We can unlearn behaviours yeah. so we can re- look at the reprogramming. And that's what we look to do, reprogram them, reinstall real healthy behaviours, show them coping strategies so that these wee kids can get their parents back. And I think, you know, it's so important, isn't it, that people realise that they can. I think it's dead powerful you saying you can unlearn things, you can change. Because I think society likes to just put a badge on somebody and say, like, you're, you're untasteful, we don't want you in our society anymore go away, hide, whether that's in a prison or in, you know, a house in a state or whatever. We don't want to look at you anymore. And so people don't believe they can change. Has that been your experience that when you're saying you can change, that some of the prisoners you're working with have never been told that before? Probably never been told it and don't believe they're good enough mm. or don't believe they're worth it. You know, they believe they're pieces of crap and they're the dregs of society because that's how they've been, they've been looked upon. But, you know, we, it's, we've got an 83% success rate at Cisco. That means that 83% of the guys that we have supported have not returned to prison. Now, something that we are doing is clearly working there. And it's all, it's so simple. Like when people say to me, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's so simple. It's two things, developing a relationship and building trust. And then when you've got that, these men become vulnerable. They start to disclose to you. And then we can start to, you know, right, okay, that's not your fault, you know, that we can start to help them to unlearn all the healthy coping strategies that they've learned because they're, I mean, the, the guys are only using drugs and alcohol to cure the pain of their childhood and their past and 
the love that they maybe ever had. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing that we do as soon as the prisoners enter the room is we give them a hug because human beings and uh, we had a 52-year-old 50, ex, he was an ex-soldier, fought for our country and came into the cafe, alcoholic PTSD and came in for the first time and I hugged him and he broke down in tears and at the end of the day he came up and he says, I'm sorry for not being a man and crying, but I've never been cuddled like that in my life before. And I thought, you're more a man for crying. Yeah. And that just means I'm going to cuddle you even more every time I see you. Wow. It's big work, isn't it, that you're doing then? Do you yeah. feel as if this was like something that was pre-written for you or that you know that like one of the sayings about the mountain was assigned to you because you could climb it? Do you feel that the mountain was assigned to you because you could climb it? Even when you think about the trauma you had to experience to have you sitting there changing 83% of men's lives? I don't think it's a coincidence. I I truly believe that, you know, things happen in your life for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a reason that I had to go through all the pain and suffering that I did, but it's absolutely defined who I am today. And again, like I said, you know, not every day is pink fluffy cows and unicorns and um, some days I don't want to get out of bed and that's okay because I have good positive coping strategies to help me do that. But to know that you're genuinely making a, a small difference in your country means a lot to me and it's a good legacy for me to leave for my children mm-hmm. and allows me to break the cycle of dysfunction in my mm-hmm. family so that the next generation for my children don't have to see disadvantage or poverty or any type of abuse or neglect or they'll never abandon their kids. You know, I got to break that cycle for my kids. Yeah. And and that's something in itself. It is. And I think that was when the equal protection law came in a couple of years ago, which was saying we need to stop hitting our children. It's illegal. And in Scotland, now I never hit my children anyway. But you think that's going to change future generations, isn't it? If we can just make people aware that it's not okay to hit your children and they get that, eventually they will they will get that, hopefully. And therefore that changes a future, doesn't it? And just like that level of compassion that you show. Mm-hmm. And for, for the people that are, you know, it's quite often just a trauma response of what they, what reflected on them as a kid, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. My kids, when I say to them, or oh, sometimes I would love to knock you out, and they'd be like, we just want social services and you'd go to the jail. So we laugh about it, do you know what I mean? Because, and when I tell them, when I was a kid, like, I didn't just get hit. I get leathered, like, black and blue, you know, lumps in my head with my mum scalping it with the back of a hairbrush, like, my nana chasing me with baseball bats. Like, it wasn't just a scalp in the bum. Like, we mm-hmm. got proper leathered and my kids are just they couldn't comprehend no the thought that you know our life being like that because 95 percent of the time in our house it's fun and laughter unless one of them are having a playstation 5 meltdown <laughs> and are you proud of the fact they can't comprehend it i absolutely am i absolutely am because what is hitting a child teaching them mm. We're teaching them violence and we're teaching them that's how you solve something. And it's no wonder if prisons are full of violent men if mothers are teaching their sons that 
if you're bad, I'm going to hit you because they're going to grow up thinking, well, if people are bad, I'm going to hit them. Uh-huh. Where do you think you got all your compassion from, Natalie? God, you know, I think my nana raised me and I think as much as she was manic, psychotic, probably would be diagnosed with a number of mental health, like, you know, when you look at it now and absolutely on the spectrum for many, many, many things. But deep down was a very troubled, traumatised, wounded woman that had a very kind and beautiful heart and was was always just kind of there to help and support people. And then my mum mm-hmm. is as tough as old boots. She's as tough as nails, but would give you the T-shirt off her back. You would never see her cry or show emotion, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I've learned it for quite a lot of the strong women round about me. And that's only because... They were equally as wounded as I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Natalie, it's such an important conversation to keep going and keep moving and keep spreading, isn't it? I think so. I think that, you know, again, like if we want to all live in this safer Scotland that's a good country, then we've all got a, a moral obligation to, to be decent people with good moral compasses and teaching our children good value systems. And, and you know, we get to, there's only 7,000 prisoners in Scotland, you know. If we all become this person with a good moral compass, we could reduce that down to a couple of thousand because there will always be people in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think our work is important and I just think it's always important to be a good person because it's teaching other people good values. Uh-huh. And what's next for you, for Cisco? I don't know yet. I don't know what's next. I don't I always, when I created it, I always thought, you know, I want us to be really big. I want us to, and in actual fact, I don't. I just want us to continue being the brilliant service that we are and Sometimes that's not going big. Sometimes when you go big, you lose the authentic service that you created. So I absolutely love the stuff that Father Greg Boyle does at Homeboy Industries in LA. I love the model that he has. I love the building size. Maybe something similar to that, but I I honestly don't know. Cisco is just growing and growing and growing in directions that I didn't even think possible. So... Who knows what would, who knows what's going to happen this time next year, Ryan? I uh, just keep following the path. Keep listening. It's this is not my work. This is the work of God. That's what I believe. I believe that God guides and provides for me, and and I just do His work, and that's what I wake up every day and do. Amazing. Thank you for everything you're doing in the world, Natalie, and in Scotland. Thank you so much, Anne. Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching Anne Hughes Ignite. 
If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you. <laughs>